Let me just pray for us very quickly before we delve into the passage. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this Mission Sunday. We thank you for uh, all that's gone on so far in the service. But now as we turn to your word, will you speak to us? Will you speak through me? May my words connect with your Holy Spirit that you would speak into our hearts. And as we sit here, may we connect with them as well to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be inspired, to be changed, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just before I start, if you're able, do you want to just stand up for 30 seconds? Uh, Maybe just shake your arms and your legs a little bit. There's no reason for doing this other than the fact that I know we've been sitting down for about 20, 25 minutes and I thought it might keep you more attentive to what I have to say. (laughs) And I'm into sport as well, so we could do a little bit more. I've done this before in church. We've massaged the shoulders of the person in front of us. But um, anyway, okay, do you want to sit down again? Thank you. Matthew 28, the last verses that in Matthew's account, the last things, the last words that Jesus speaks to his disciples. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. I need my glasses for this, I'm afraid. That's one thing I was saying that's changed in the pandemic. I now have to wear glasses a lot more to read. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission, that sending out of Jesus, of his disciples. As you will probably know, there's, there's one kind of main verb there, which is make disciples. And then from that, there are kind of three elements to it. The going, as in the sending, then the baptizing and the teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Just thinking about that phrase, Great Commission, in the English language, uh, a commission is, you think of it perhaps in terms of the armed services, I don't know, someone is commissioned, a a commissioned officer, or they're given a commission, It's, it's authority given to them under someone else or something else to go and to do a task, to perform some kind of important thing. So the Great Commission is, is that commissioning, that sending out with a really important task. Go and do this. Again, just sticking with the English word, I like to play around with this a bit, and I know it's not quite there, but it makes the point. Commission or co-mission. In other words, it's not a mission that we do on our own, nor is it my mission But it's a co-mission. It's a mission we do with God, alongside him. Jesus says, doesn't he, I'm with you to the very end of the age. So we're not going out alone, but we're going with him and as part of his mission. The word mission comes from uh, the Latin to send, missio. That's what's going on here. That's why this is this sending out, this great, this great commission, is a sending 
and we've, I know the Bible wasn't written in Latin, but how it got translated at one point. So that word mission comes from missio, to send. And lots has been written theologically and particularly over the last sort of 70 odd years around mission. When I was at the Youth for Christ offices earlier in the week, I was encouraged to see one of the, the mission tomes on the bookshelf up there uh, by someone called David Bosch, written a lot on mission and what mission is about. He says that mission is an attribute of God. In other words, it's very much in the heart of God. Not just something that God does, but kind of who he is in his Trinitarian way of being, an attribute of God. Jürgen Moltmann, a famous theologian, says this, it's not the church that has a mission of salvation to fulfill in the world. It is the mission of the Son and the Spirit through the Father that includes the church. Let me say it again. It's not the church that has a mission of salvation to fulfill in the world. It is the mission of the Son and the Spirit through the Father that includes the church. And so Jesus, with his disciples, is sending them out, is missioing them, is sending them on mission. He says, go out, talk about this stuff. And by, by definition... As they go out as disciples and then make more disciples, then the more disciples then go and do it as well. Because it's at the heart of what it means to be a disciple. And so here we are, 2,000 years on, as disciples, making disciples, involved in this mission, in this missio. One more quote, which I'm going to put up on the, on the screen from this sense of missio day, God's mission. This is from someone called Alan Hirsch, who wrote this book, The Forgotten Ways, and I put in bold what he said just to emphasize it. But let me read this out to you. So a working definition of missional church is a community of God's people that defines itself and organizes its life around its real purpose of being an agent of God's mission to the world. In other words, the church's true and authentic organizing principle is mission. When the church is in mission, it's the true church. The church itself is not only a product of that mission, but is obligated and destined to extend it by whatever means possible. And now the bold bit. The mission of God flows directly through every believer and every community of faith that adheres to Jesus. To obstruct this is to block God's purposes in and through God's people. I find the bold bit very challenging. The mission of God, the missio Dei, the who he is, flows directly through every believer. Not some special believers, not some super elect ones, but every believer. And then the last last sentence, to obstruct this, And I'm reading obstruct, obstruct, not just meaning to stand in the way of it, but actually we can obstruct things by not getting involved in things as well. By being silent about things we can obstruct. To obstruct this is to block God's purposes in and through God's people. One of the things I've loved about being back in St. John's since 2009, 2010 
is our commitment to mission as a church. The three Sundays we have a year where we think about our mission partners. I love the fact that it's not just about, it includes, but it's not just about mission in Africa or in India, but it's throughout this nation, like Sports Chapman UK. It's also locally, like street pastors or Youth for Christ. I love getting the, the email from Beverly uh, a couple of weeks before Mission Sunday saying, can you send in your, your, your prayer request, please? I'm one of these people that works to a deadline, so she always gets it at the last minute. But nevertheless, she always gets it. But it's great to know that I've got a church that is praying alongside me, with me, for the work of Sports Chapman UK. Not just in what I'm doing in Cholton or what Catherine is doing, but what we're doing throughout the nation. I think it's great that we've actually we set aside money. We've got a budget where we're helping to support my own organisation included financially in the work of mission. So it's fantastic being part of the church like that. But now's the but. And I'm not aiming this specifically at us as a church, but just generally as church, sometimes it can be very othering. In other words, well, I give my money to church and and, and then we'll pay for people to go and do the missions. We'll pay uh, for an evangelist. We'll support this project elsewhere. We'll send money out to Africa. And it shifts in our mind our own responsibility, our own call, our own obligation, our own raison d'etre almost of being involved in mission ourselves. Mission isn't something that someone else does. It's something that I do, that we do as disciples of Jesus. Amen? So here's two examples now of two individuals who pick up this mission mantle, this sending mantle, this going out. One of them's in Scripture, and then we're going to hear a little bit more from our friend Catherine. But first of all, back to Scripture, and if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 17, we're going to pick it up with Paul. You see, Paul wasn't one of those disciples that heard the Great Commission, but it gets passed on to him later on. So here's his take in Acts 17. Now, we pick it up. I want to concentrate with Paul in Athens. And I can't unpack all of this, but I want to use it as an example. So Paul's just been in in a place called Berea with Silas and Timothy. As always, he gets into, or as often, he gets into a bit of trouble there. So he's now moved on to Athens. And then we pick it up in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? I don't know if they said it quite like that, but that's how I read it. Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. Now that's a, that's a group that had some authority in Athens who were, were kind of making decisions around moral and ethical things. So he goes along and he has this conversation with them. Well, they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? 
You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. And then this almost comical bit in brackets here. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. That's all they did. A whole day. All they were doing. Paul then stands up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. There's loads in that passage, and I've not got time to go into it all in detail, but there's loads that we can learn in terms of mission and indeed evangelism as well. How Paul, whilst waiting around, starts to see what's going on in the culture and brings it into his conversation. You know, he brings in, I saw you tomb to an unknown God. Oh, let me explain what, what that means. Oh, I, I, oh, a bit of your poetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, um, well, I'll bring a bit of that into my my explanation to you. Very, very clever the way that he does it. And then, of course, at the end, what's the response he gets? Some of them sneer. We'll have people sneer, won't we? When we talk the gospel, sometimes. Some of them say, I'd like to hear you again on this stuff. That could be because they're trying to just watch our lives to see if we add up to what we've been proclaiming. But it could also be that they're interested. Oh, no, tell me some more. Can we have another conversation? Can we have another, another coffee? Can we have another beer in Beer and Carols to talk about it? And sometimes they'll believe. So that's Paul in Athens. Let's watch a two-minute clip from my interview with Catherine, which you've not seen yet. So this, for us as... Um in St John's, this is our Mission Sunday. What does what does mission mean to you, uh, and in what way? How does your chaplaincy do you see that it fits in with that? But to me, mission is about kind of how I see 
God's kind of using me? What's God put in me, whether that's skills or talents or what lots of us would call gift? Um, and kind of combining that with what I think God has got going on um, all the time. He's always interested in everything we're doing. There's always things that he is involved in and he wants us to be involved in. And we, he can be involved in everything. We can't, we've got our own kind of giftings and even interests. And some people might talk about what God's spoken to them about, what's in their heart, what they get kind of excited by. And I think for me, a lot of our mission is to do with engaging with what God's put in me, what maybe he's spoken to me about over the years or opportunities arise and thinking, oh, is that actually an opportunity for me to step into? Um, and then just being very present in whatever I'm doing. So in this case, chaplaincy or my job or playing hockey and just being, I guess, Jesus in those situations, not through my own strength, but through what God's given me and my relationship with him. Um, to yeah, to just, yeah, like I said, try and be Jesus and um, and see where that takes me, really. Um, so, yeah. I love Catherine. She so gets it. She's such a great chaplain. She so gets mission. She so gets what chaplaincy is about. I've, you know, just some of the phrases that she used there. How I see God using me, what skills, what talents, what gifts I've got. And then she says, combining that with what God has got going on. One of my prayers, and I, I use this in my training with chaplains, is I always pray when I'm going into the training ground or around the club, because God is always at work. He says that in scripture. He's always about something. So I just simply pray, Lord, will you fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit? Will you open my eyes to see what you're doing that I can join in with it? That's all I want to do. Just join in with what God is doing. Um, because if God isn't doing something, then well, I don't want to go and do anything. I only want to join in with what he's doing. And that kind of takes the weight off a little bit. And as I, my eyes are open, I can see these. Well, that's what Catherine's saying there, combining that with what God has got going on. She says, engaging with what God has put in me, her skills and her talents, what opportunities I then might have. And then I, I, you know, I've put this in, in red in my few notes here. Being present in whatever I'm doing, chaplaincy, my job, playing hockey, being Jesus and seeing where, he take, seeing where that takes me, really. That could have been Paul in Athens, couldn't it, really? Being Jesus and seeing where that takes me, really, as I'm hanging around for Silas and Timothy and go to the synagogue and have a few conversations in the synagogue. But then, where does it really kick off for him? In the marketplace. In the marketplace, where the people are where they're about their stuff. Not in the synagogue, but in the marketplace. Or as Catherine might say, in my job, in my chaplaincy at Cholton, when I'm playing hockey, that's her marketplaces. Apostle in Athens talks about marketplace. Chaplain in Cholton, 2,000 years on, talks about her marketplace. And so my challenge and encouragement to all of us, if you believe like I do as a disciple of Jesus that we are called to mission, that we have a missional God, it's in the heart of who he is 
ascending God who has called us as disciples of him, therefore into his mission. It's a definition of what it means to be a disciple. I'll push it right to that. If you believe that, then the question then is, where's your marketplace? Lord, will you show me where my marketplace is? And I'm sure a number of you here already know that. And so this has been an encouragement to you today. Yeah, no, I I get that. I know what the marketplace is about. But let me just throw this out to challenge us, to make us think, perhaps to revisit it or to visit it for the first time. You might be a solicitor. You might be a teacher. It might be at the school gates doing the the drop-off or the the pick-up. It might be on the touchline on a Sunday morning. And I do say that deliberately, but if you were to go and get in your cars now and drive around south-east London, you would see hundreds, nay thousands, of youngsters going to play football or hockey or rugby in the right seasons, cricket and athletics. Maybe that's your marketplace along that touchline. Or maybe it's food bank on a Saturday morning giving out food and talking to people. Where's your marketplace? And you may say, well, Matt, it's easy for you because you're a chaplain. It's easy for you because, you know, you're you're just doing it all the time. Well, I don't believe in mission because I'm a chaplain. I'm a chaplain because I believe in mission. I trained as a solicitor, some of you know that, before going into uh, church ministry 30-odd years ago. And I know I wasn't paid to do mission there. I was paid to make solicitors very rich. At least that's how it felt at times. I'm not knocking anyone here as a solicitor. But there were occasions within that where over lunch or the end of the day, I'd be chatting to one of the fellow article clerks about about the Lord. I remember a, a very wine fueled meal with one of the partners as I was moving seats from one area to another. And we had about an hour, hour and a half talking about matters of faith, talking about the Lord. Oh, it's changed now, Matt. You, 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 you can't do that anymore. You can't do that anymore. You know, we have to be really careful what we say at work. Well, I, I partly agree with you, but I think that can be an excuse, actually. I think there are more opportunities if we just ask the Lord to open our eyes to join in with what he's doing. Football can be a fairly politically correct world, I've discovered. Yet there's still opportunities within it. One final example, people often say the media, that's a really tough place to be a Christian. And I think we need to pray for those who we know are involved in the media. But here's an example of someone in the media Dan Walker. Dan Walker, who was on Football Focus for years. Dan Walker, who's on uh, early morning TV. Dan Walker is now doing Strictly Come Dancing. I remember when he went on to the Sunday morning TV and and I read these articles. Oh, it's ridiculous. They've got this bloke who believes in creation now who's going to be on the TV in the morning, forcing that down our throats. Well, I've not seen him do that on, Sunday, on, on early morning TV, but he's still standing up in an appropriate way as and when to what, for what he believes. 
And if you watch Strictly, I'm not a massive Strictly fan, but if you watch, watch Strictly, I, I understand that with the Halloween one that they had last week, he decided, he said, look, I can't wear a Halloween costume because for years I've taught my kids that we don't celebrate Halloween so we've always done light parties, so I'm not going to wear one. And they listened to him, and he was allowed to dress up in some other kind of funny outfit. Somebody right in the media is still discovering that that's his marketplace, and God has placed him there in mission. So what about you? If you're interested in sports chaplaincy, please do come and talk to me afterwards. I'm always looking for the new opportunities. I'm trying to find someone for London City Lionesses, which is down in Dartford at the moment, to the women's team down there. So if you're interested in that, let me know. But there are local gyms, cricket, all kinds of sports clubs at whatever level. So if you're interested in sports chaplaincy, do come and chat to me. If the Lord hasn't enlightened your heart towards sport, and I understand that's not the case for everybody, then just ask the Lord this question if you don't know already. Lord, I'm committed to mission because it's in your heart. Please show me your marketplace for me that I can get involved in it. Amen.